concrete is heavier than wood. Howdy, and welcome to Come and Take It, a show about Texas by Texans. I'm your host, Mike Zolkowski, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Sean McIver. Howdy. And Scott Elfstrom. Hello. All three of us, born and raised in the great state of Texas. Now, before we get started today, I'd like to say that my favorite Texas wrestler is Scott Casey. And when I think wrestling and wrestling in Texas, I think the family Von Erich. Well, my favorites are Terry Funk and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, we will cover Texas wrestling in depth in a future episode, but today we're talking about a famous Texas icon, the Battleship Texas, and what it means to us. The Battleship Texas is a dreadnought battleship. A dreadnought is simply a battleship that's heavily armored. It has all of its main armament is the same size. And this was a class of ships that was built in the early 1900s. It's the first American ship to have 14-inch uh, guns. Most of the ships before that had 12-inch guns. And it's the first use to use computing power to control fire, firing. It was an analog computer. I found it really interesting about the ship is that it was actually launched in 1912 uh, within a month of the completion of the Titanic. Yes, and the battleship Texas is still afloat. It is still afloat. Unlike the Titanic. And also, uh, in that time, the battleship Texas and its sister ship, the USS New York, they were state-of-the-art military technology. They're, it's the kind of thing that you would probably have spies trying to find out how they were built, uh, much like the Red October. Yes, it was. It, it was the cutting edge, the, the, the most advanced weapon system built in the world at the time. It was completed right before the First World War began. The early operations of the ship were what we would consider today gunboat, gunboat diplomacy. Uh, the Veracruz expedition in Mexico, uh, where U.S. forces were put, to, put on shore in Mexico to intervene in the Mexican Revolution. In World War One, it did serve in the neutrality patrols to keep the United States out of the war. Once the war started, though, the Texas, along with several other of the American dreadnoughts, were sent across the pond over there to join with their compatriots in the British Grand Fleet. And the Grand Fleet was the large fleet of British battleships that was in place to prevent the German fleet from breaking out into the Atlantic Ocean and wrecking Allied convoys. It was actually present in 1918 when the German fleet steamed into the British anchorage at Scapa Flow to surrender. And it was actually also present when that same fleet, a year, almost a year later, scuttled itself rather than be turned over to the Allies for scrapping. The Texas didn't actually have a very active war. It didn't actually fire its guns in anger in the entire First World War. But when we got to World War II... Um, it was a little bit more active. Early operations, it spent in uh, defense of the convoys in the Atlantic fleet. It was not at Pearl Harbor because it didn't have the range for the Pacific, and it was rather slow compared to some of the other ships. They had converted in the 1920s from coal to oil, so at least it was somewhat modernized, but it was didn't have the range that some of the other battleships did. So although it was still in service, uh, it wasn't quite up to snuff with some of the later ships. But that actually saved it. Like you said, it was it was not at Pearl Harbor. After supporting the convoys in the Atlantic Fleet, when the United States actually entered the war proper, the USS Texas was a part of Operation Torch, which was the code name for the invasion of North Africa. Uh, significant for the USS Texas at that time was that a well-known reporter 
Walter Cronkite was on board. It was his first assignment as a war correspondent, and he had been a uh, he had been a station uh, reporter in Dallas through the Associated Press before the war. So he did have a connection with Texas. So it's ironic that his first wartime assignment was on the Texas. And after Operation Torch, the USS Texas was also involved in the D-Day operation. Like the other battleships, uh, it was used for bombardment to soften up the defenses on shore and to support our many troops that were invading at Omaha Beach. And it bombarded all the defenses at the port of Cherbourg. And one of the things that I found interesting was as the invasion went on and the soldiers got further and further inland, uh, they had to raise their guns higher and higher, and they needed just a little bit more range. So they actually flooded a compartment on the side opposite the shoreline so that they could get a little more elevation on their guns. So you mentioned the port at Cherbourg. Uh, That was actually the major port in Normandy. That was actually the only place where the Texas was hit. One shell glanced off the armored conning tower, which is the steering section. It's a very thickly armored ship where they steer the ship from. It actually killed the helmsman and wounded 11 others. The captain was only saved because he he ducked when the shell hit. That was the only battle casualty in any action. But the more interesting hit was the one that hit a little bit later. They didn't actually know that they hit until after the battle. A shell actually breached the hull, and it came to rest in one of the officers' staterooms. But it didn't explode. It was a dud. And they didn't discover this until the officer went into the stateroom and saw this, this dud shell that's you know, about the size of a steamer trunk sitting in his bed. They kept the shell. It's still on the ship today. You can see it. It's it's actually pretty pretty impressive. So afterwards, they continued to support the invasion of southern France and moved on to support invasions of Iwo Jima and Okinawa. It's interesting about how little combat damage they took. After the war was over, the uh, Texas participated in Operation Magic Carpet. And so that was an operation that transported people back from the invasion and war back to back to the United States. Yeah, they crammed as many bunks into the ship as they could and as many troops as, into each ship as they could to get them back as quickly as possible. So in June 1946, she was placed in reserve. Right, and so after that point, she was actually taken over by the state of Texas. As a permanent memorial, she was designated by the state legislature as the flagship of the Texas Navy. And so for a number of years, the ship was maintained as a museum ship. Unfortunately, the story is not so glorious from that point uh, for quite a while. The Battleship Commission, which maintained the ship, they had a hard time doing so. There's very little budget given by the state for upkeep. Uh, The deck of the ship is wooden, which is the outside, the top of the, the top deck of the ship. It was wooden and it was rotted and leaking heavily. And so they decided the best thing to do was to, and the, the, the only thing they could afford to do was replace it with a concrete deck. And I've seen the remains of some concrete boats in the Galveston Bay area. Uh, they don't float so well. The, the thing that they didn't realize, I guess they didn't consult any engineers when they did this, because engineers probably would have told them without stress, stress joints, uh, concrete will also crack and leak. And so it, it did exactly that. And it also, because it was much, concrete is heavier than wood, I suppose, uh, it put a great deal more stress on the hull than actually needed to be placed on there. By the 1980s, they were they had inspected the ship, and it was no longer watertight at all. The biggest problem, though, is that it's the, the ship was in the Houston Ship Channel. That's where the berth was. It's near the San Jacinto Monument. And the Houston Ship Channel, uh, if you've ever seen it, it is... It is quite polluted. Very busy. No smoking. Yeah. 
<laughs> no smoking. It's very polluted. Uh, and the water's brackish. There was the, the berth that it was in, it was off of a little channel. And so there was no flowing water. And part of the part of the thing is that water stays, part of the salinity of the water that keeps it from being too salty and too corrosive is that water is flowing. Uh, that's what the ships are designed for. They're designed to, to, to be moving. And so brackish water is not good for the the steel in the hull. Yeah, and complicating things was the fact that some of the interior spaces were not being painted as regularly as they should be. If you ask any sailor in the Navy, they will tell you that anytime they're not spent doing fire drills, they are probably painting. Ships constantly have to be painted to protect them from corrosion, and the Texas was not getting that attention. Right, and so there was huge amount, num- large numbers of uh, numbers of uh, the interior spaces were just deteriorating rapidly. For about five years, they did fundraising to restore and repair the ship. In 1988, the Texas was actually pulled from her berth and towed to shipyards in Galveston for repairs. I remember watching this as a child. It was a big deal in the Gulf Coast, Houston area, turning on the evening news and seeing the helicopter vantage of the USS Texas being pulled by tugboats down the Houston Ship Channel. It nearly sank because the hull was so fragile, but they did make it to the shipyards with constant pumping. It took them two years to refit and repair the hull, fixed a bunch of things on the interior, and they replaced the concrete deck with a new wood deck. What they did when they restored it, is they restored the exterior to the condition that it was in at the end of World War II. Um, ongoing restor- work, restoration work, uh, various parts of the interior has continued at a slow pace since about 1990. There's still a large number of spaces inside that are unrestored, and uh, there's even some that are unreachable because they've built new bracing on the interior of the ship to hold up the parts that are falling apart. Well, and since the last time it's been refitted, they still have the same problems. They have leaking and deterioration of the hull. Parts of the hull are so fragile that it'll crumble at the touch. And, and it should be noted that that the time, that the amount of time since we've restored the ship is basically about the same amount of time as almost as much as it was between the time they got the ship into the berth and, and restored it the first time. So this, like you said, the same problems have been just accumulating over the years. So, well, the pumps have to run 24-7, and in 2010 and 2012, they've had pump failures and leaks. Some other holes have seriously threatened the integrity of the ship. But in 2007, uh, Texas voters did approve $25 million to build a dry berth for the ship, and this would set the ship out of water on permanent keel blocks. Construction on the three-year plant, uh, project will begin in 2014. The ship will reopen in 2017 in its new, in its new dry berth. What I think is really cool about this is it's going to look like a freestanding ship. Like you're actually going to be able to see the the complete hull top to bottom. You're going to be able to walk underneath the ship. Yeah. It'll be like um, going up to the rocket park at Johnson uh, Space Center. Right. Yeah. Or, the big Saturn rocket. Space Center Houston. Yeah. Space Center Houston. Except it'll be a battleship. <laughs> it'll be a battleship. Right. And I was, I, in my mind, I'm just like... to. Picture like a freestanding battleship just sitting out on blocks out in the yard. And I imagine in the year 2017, when it reopens, that my children would be just old enough to be incredibly bored. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you won't. Exactly. All right. So let's talk about firsts, because in Texas, we like things bigger, we like them better, and we like to be first. So this was the first American ship with 14-inch guns. Right. Uh, It was the first to mount anti-aircraft guns. And it was the first ship uh, to use analog directors and range keepers, uh, the analog computers that we mentioned earlier, for its fire control. This was the first battleship to launch an aircraft with the Grand Fleet during World War I. 
and it was the first one fitted with radar. The first to show a movie on board, which a, was, a in fact, a talkie. A talkie. Talkies. Love those talkies. It was the first museum ship. And it was the first one declared a National Historic Landmark. It's also the only surviving dreadnought battleship, and it is the only surviving battleship to serve in both world wars. I think this would be a good time for us to talk a little bit about our personal experiences with the battleship and what it means to us. I just remember as a kid living in the area where it was kept in its birth at the San Jacinto Monument, and we would go to field trips there in school, I think, two or three times. I forget. It's a long time ago. It was just really cool to me to go and see a real piece of history that had been all over the world, and I could see it basically in my own backyard uh, right there in Texas. You know, um, normally you'd think you'd have to go to somewhere like Washington, D.C. or somewhere like that to see a piece of history like that, but it was right there. Well, I remember when I was in school, I was living way out in the country, and we were saving up to make a trip to Washington, but we ran short of funds, so we went to the San Jacinto Monument and saw the Battleship Texas. And I remember being awestruck, just it's 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 incredibly impressive ship to stand on, and even now it's impre- incredibly impressive. But I do remember, funny thing was they have uh, some decommissioned guns. One of the deck guns was there, and it's an open breach. And one of my classmates said his camera, his little pocket camera, on the on the breach, and it slid straight down the barrel and into the murky, brackish waters, never to be seen again. When I was a kid, we took a vacation to Houston. We, you know, growing up in far north and west Texas. Houston was a little far away, but we took a vacation there. We went to the Space Center, Houston, Johnson Space Center. But we also did go to the Battleship Texas and the San Jacinto Monument. And I just remember, I actually, this was in the 80s when they still had the concrete deck. So I remember seeing the ship in its earlier state. And then when we were in college, we actually took a road trip. Scott and I did, and some other people. I think, Mike, you were studying. It was over spring break. I was always studying. You were always studying. Uh, We took a road trip down uh, all over the state. We went to the Battleship Texas, and this was post-restoration. So I remember thinking, this is the way I wanted the ship to look, because I was in order. I'd seen lots of pictures. Then every chance I've gotten, I've gone to the Battleship Texas. And sometimes I've gone on my own, I think. When Scott got married, I went on my own, just stopped there on the way back home to Dallas. But recently, I was able to go on a hard hat tour, and they run these a couple of times a year. The foundation does, the Battleship Texas Foundation. And these are tours where you wear a hard hat. They take you actually into areas of the ship that the tours don't normally go into. And so you see some of these areas that are really hard to get to because of the bracing they've put in. And uh, they, you get to see really parts of the ship that, that normally you don't get to see, but you also get to see the sharp parts of the ship that are hurting, that need that need help. We went into a room where, you know, it's it's about eight inches of water on the floor. And there's not supposed to be water on the floor uh, this high on the ship, but there's water on the floor. Uh, there was parts of the ship that we couldn't go to, such as the fire control, the, the crow's nest at the very top. I asked if we could go there, and the tour guide said no. The chief engineer does, has to go up there to change the uh, the aircraft warning light, and he doesn't like going up there because it's terrifying. And so imagine imagine sitting on one of those sh- up there while there's giant shells flying over your head or kamikaze planes coming at you. I, I can't even imagine it. The main thing about the Texas is, it's like you said, it is it is a majestic thing. It is a it is a powerful thing, and it is it. I think it's it's. We've taken this as ours. This is our ship. And, you know, we talked about there's other museums in Texas. There's other ships in Texas that served in World War II. And 
they don't have the connection to Texas that the Battleship Texas is because it is it carries the name of Texas. It, it, that's why I think they named it the made it the flagship of the Texas Navy, even though there's not a Texas Navy, but it it fits in with that that Lone Star State, our heritage and our history, and the pride that we take in being Texans, and so the pride that we take in this ship as as our ship. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so please follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm at Max Sean with two N's. I am Scotticus on Twitter. If you like the show, please tell your friends, leave a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook. It all really helps us out. We hope you join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.